20. I will be reading Psalm 20. To the choir master, a psalm of David. May Yahweh answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah. May He grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May Yahweh fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that Yahweh saves His anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of Yahweh, our God. They collapse and fall. But we rise and stand upright. Oh, Yahweh, save the king. May He answer us when we call. Blessed is the reading of God's holy psalm and song and prayer to our hearts and to our souls on this very day in Jesus. Father, thank You for the prayer book. We thank You for the song book of the Bible. We thank You for the anointing upon those who pen them and upon David here. And let this, what it contains in its truth and its application for us, sing with the joy, as we already did, of our King, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Psalm 20 here. It's a song. It's a song of David. First, in the first five verses, about how the people of Israel pray for their king, the king of Israel. And not only that, as king, as leader in the battlefield against those who seek to destroy them. That's verses 1 to 5. Then verses 6 to 8 makes a transition going back to the first, not back, but to the first person where David is speaking. And then he will include the people. Where David confesses on his own behalf, in the behalf of Israel, their trust in Yahweh. So what we have here is a psalm about a people who have a king, a sovereign. And they're all united as one together because the success of the king has to do with the people's success. 
But their main focus is not on the king. Their main focus is on petitioning their God. For God to give King David and the troops victory in battle. That's what this is. But if we say, what does that, what does this psalm here then have to do with us 21st century Christians without a king? It's a simple answer to that, and it's twofold. First, as believers, we are in a war. Not against flesh and blood, but, but against authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Or as the Apostle Paul penned in 2 Corinthians 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. And he means the weapon in that context of truth to knock down arguments that are fallacious. That's first. But secondly, it's not true that we don't have a king. King David's son is our living king. And that is what the last verse here in Psalm 20 makes clear. I know you can't see it if you're looking at ESV. Because I don't think the ESV and the NIV translate it correctly. I think the New American Standard Bible translates it the way that we should read it from the Hebrew. And the New American Standard Bible translates verse 9 like this. Save Yahweh. Full stop. Let the king hear us when we call. We have a king. So now, in the historical context, the correct assumption that David and the Israelites have is that as the army goes off to war, God is active. One way or the other. And they know He responds to prayer. That's why the, 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 the psalm is sandwiched with the word, answer. Verse 1, verse 9. Verse 1, may Yahweh answer you, David, in the day of trouble. Verse 9, may He answer us when we call. Now, another thing to know. We know that the name of God, God is his title, we know his name is the four Hebrew letters, the yod Hey vav Hey. You put vowel sounds in there, it could come out something like Yah, 
way. We saw that last week. But also here, three times in the psalm, I mean, he does use the, the, those four letters, the tetragrammaton, but three times he actually says the phrase in the name of God, or the name of Yahweh. The point is, know to whom you're praying. Praying to the right God, the God of Israel, matters. There's lots of gods in their time. There are lots of gods now. and There are false gods like the God of Islam. Know to whom you pray. All right. So let's go to the first section, verses 1 to 5. Where this is... David saying, this is how the people were praying for me, the king, going off to battle. Or blessing them, we'll see the, it's really closely tied, benedictions and prayer. May Yahweh answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. So that's our big key, this day of trouble for King David, meaning this, this distress which is probably pointing to this defensive war when Israel's being attacked on its borders. And I know that sounds a lot like I'm speaking about what's happening on planet Earth right now at this moment in Israel. But this here refers to a thousand BC. Notice the people pray to Yahweh to protect David and his troops, but here they refer now to Yahweh as the God of Jacob, meaning not merely the creator of the universe, but the, yes, that 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 one, but. Our covenant God. I mean, Yahweh, you make covenant. You make commitments. You stick to them. The God of Jacob. Remember the root of that? God calls Abraham. He chooses him. And that chosenness is passed down to Abraham's son Isaac, and then it's passed down to Isaac's son, Jacob. And then in Genesis 28, Jacob had a dream, remember? And God stood above the top of that ladder that he saw in his dream. And he said to Jacob, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And then later... Jacob wrestles with God all night long until daybreak. And when the sun came up, 
Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And then he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob has 12 sons, and those 12 sons of Jacob are the 12 families or tribes of Israel that now, hundreds of years later, David is king over. And they pray for him. Oh, God of Jacob, our covenant God who has promised, protect King David and the troops. That's verse 1. Verse 2 continues, May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. Now, in verse 6, David makes it clear. He understands Yahweh, God, is non-physical. He's in heaven. But here are physical, geographical locations. The sanctuary where the Ark of the Covenant was now at this point, on a hill in Jerusalem. And that hill is called Zion. It's the special place where Yahweh's presence in a unique way. He's present everywhere. He's omnipresent. But there is a unique, special presence that resides there with the Ark of the Covenant with His people Israel and where the blood was to be put. For instance... In Isaiah 60, verse 13, just for a moment, we read this. The glory of Lebanon, because it's filled with the forest and trees, and that's where you're going to get their lumber. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, in order to beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I will make the place, I mean in the sanctuary, of my feet glorious. That's where I stand. Then verse 3. May he remember, David, all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. David, may, may Yahweh regard your obedience from a heart of faith which is expressed through your free will offerings along with your sin offerings, the burnt offerings that atone for your sins. And in light of that, they go on to pray in verse 4, may He grant you your heart's desire. And fulfill all your plans. Referring to his plans, his strategies in battle. May, in other words, God give you, as you go to battle, victory. Verse 5. 
And thus, may we shout for joy over your salvation. He's not referring to David's soul salvation here. He's referring to victory in battle. May we shout for joy over your victory. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. May Yahweh fulfill all your petitions, requests. In other words, may it all result, now this battle, in all of us celebrating victory. Because remember, it's the king, the welfare of their king has everything to do with their welfare. His success is their success. If there's disaster in war, that meant disaster for the people. That's verses 1 to 5. Now let's contemplate for a moment. Is it right for us here today to take that psalm, to take those five verses, and to petition the Lord like that? Or again, notice it's in the form of a blessing to David. Like when I give the blessing, the benediction at the end of every sermon, may the Lord, it's also, Lord, you're here. Can you do this? Do this. May, may he do that. But then it's addressed at the people. And the psalm is addressed like a benediction. So here's the question. Would it be right for me to use verses 1 and 2 as a benediction at the end of this service? This morning. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. Would that be appropriate? My answer is yes. David's son was promised to come and to sit on the throne of David forever. And he has come and is seated. Remember how David said it in Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord. And remember Jesus. Who's he referring to? Well, he's referring to the Messiah. Then that's David's son, right? Yes. Well, then how is it that David calls him? Lord. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus has come. Jesus has conquered death and the grave. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 1. The working of God's great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that has been named. Not only in this age, 
but also in the one to come. So yes, this is appropriate. It's an appropriate blessing. It's an appropriate prayer. We don't pray though. We don't pray, oh Jesus, may you win the battle. May you get victory. Because he already has won. He's already conquered. Revelation 5 says it this way about Jesus. He's the Lion of Judah. And here, here are the words related to the psalm. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the Root of David. And has he has conquered. And so what we do is like verse 5. We celebrate the victory. And we pray that King Jesus would display and make public his victory in this present evil age in the world, even before he comes again the second time in order to finally and forever wipe out all of his enemies. We pray on the day of trouble. Remember now, this benediction, this prayer, if it's answered for King David, it's a blessing to the people. The good of the people are also in mind. And so it is today. Is today a day of trouble? Are any of you heavenly or heavily burdened. Suffering the grief of the loss of a loved one. Feeling lonely. Experiencing anxiety. In the midst of a financial crisis causing all kinds of stress. You enduring constant physical pain or the abandonment of a spouse or brain deterioration as you grow older and older. Whatever it is, here's the truth. Today is the day of trouble. And so this benediction is very appropriate today. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. Now, verses 6 to 8 has the words coming out of David's mouth. And he's confident that Yahweh will grant victory. Verse 6. Now I know that Yahweh saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of His right hand. Now, 
in the Hebrew, it's in the past tense, the word deliver, save. He has saved his anointed, meaning David, the king. The king is the anointed here. But as the, the context that we're supposed to feel is that the battle has not been fought yet. But it's as if it's already happened because that's how confident David is and the people. It's like Paul's confidence in Romans chapter 8 when he takes the verb glorified and it's in the aorist tense with all the others. Past tense. Whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And those are all, if you love Jesus right now, they are in the past in time for you. But then he says, whom he justified, he also... No, he didn't. That's still future for every one of us. Glorified in the resurrection. But it's as if, if one is good, it's always good is done. It cannot not happen. And he's demonstrating his confidence here. Now, one more thing. We know that, that, that Jesus memorized and internalized Psalm 22. He recited it from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, I think Jesus probably had the entire Hebrew Scripture memorized. And it must be true of this verse. Psalm 20, verse 6, as he braced himself for the cross during that last week in Jerusalem. Now I know that Yahweh saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right And now David reiterates his certainty again in verse 8. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. And the key to David's certainty in verse 6 and in verse 8 rests upon David and the people trusting in Yahweh which is spelled out in verse 7. Some trust in chariots, and some in horses. We trust in the name of Yahweh, our God. Okay, don't misread it. David and the troops, they have chariots. Really important for battle, like tanks are today. You put numbers of people with their bows and arrows up there as you're riding with the two horses in battle besides the ground troops. 
They have horses, they got chariots, they got weapons of war, and they're going to use them and plan to use them. His point is, though, foundationally, their trust is not in them. Underneath it all, their trust is in Yahweh, the sovereign God of the universe who decides every battle. Listen to the opposite. A few hundred years later, God speaks through his prophet Isaiah when Israel says, We're going to trust in Egypt to protect us and not in Yahweh. Isaiah 31, the Lord says to them, Woe, very bad. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they're very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult Yahweh. The Egyptians are man and not God. And their horses are flesh and not spirit like I am. Then he says, when Yahweh stretches out his hand, the helper, that's Egypt, the helper will stumble. And he who is helped, that's Israel, will fall. And they will all perish together because you trust in chariots and horses so the lesson is yes David he knew it use your weapons have strategies plan for war but don't rely on them instead of the Lord use your gifts of money making Use your gifts of brain power, physical strength, social graces, study, knowledge. But don't rely on them in the place of your Savior. Much of our Christian lives, isn't it? It's just experience after experience of learning not to trust in the gifts, but the giver. By God's grace as Christians, through Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, we are brought again and again and again to the confession of verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. We trust in the name of the Lord our God by His grace. Which brings us to the last verse. And again, I don't think the ESV and the NIV's rendering, when they render it this way, O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. I don't think that's how it should be understood. 
I think the New American Standard Bible's interpretation is accurate. Save, O Lord. Now, may the King answer us in the day we call. So as David now takes what we just saw, those first eight verses, he wraps it up. First, the first five verses. says, let me re-say those first five verses again. Yahweh, save! Give us the victory. Then, the second part of verse 9, he reiterates the confidence of David and the people in verses 6 and 8. The king will answer us in the day we call. Which means in the context, the king is not David. The king is Yahweh. The true king. He's the one that David referred to in Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's the king. The king, well, it, it cannot be said more clearly than the way Paul said it in Philippians chapter 2. Christ Jesus, who though He was in the morphe, the form, nature of God, He did not count His equality with God, a thing to be grasped, not meaning to grab hold of, but it means to hold on to in the sense of He did not say, there's no way I'm going to take a human nature to my person. Uh Uh-uh. Though He's God. We know that because Paul defines it. He's equal with God. But that didn't keep him from the next thing. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And now... That theological, massive word, un, in Greek, therefore, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name. The name that is above every name. That's not the name the angel said, call him Jesus. It's not the name Jesus. It's the name upon that human being who is and has always been God. It is 
Yahweh. He makes it crystal clear. Watch. So that at the name of Jesus, yes, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. Lord, that's kurios in Greek. It's how they translate the tetragrammaton from the Hebrew in the Greek translation. That's what Paul's grasping at. This is the name upon that fellow human being who happens to have always been God, but is always now for every human, one person, two natures. We will confess that Jesus, that man from Galilee, is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. And in laying out his most complete articulation of the gospel of Jesus Christ when he wrote it to the church in the city of Rome, Paul makes it clear as he opens up that great treatise, the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his, that is God's Son, and this is key and it's huge. Who was descended from David according to the flesh? So here we sit in 2023 and we know more clearly than David did. We know more clearly than the people of Israel did about God's plan. We now know the son of David is Jesus from Nazareth. Crucified as the propitiation for our sins. Raised from the dead for our justification forever before God. Putting away all of our guilt. Seated right now at the right hand of God on the throne of David forever as our human king. And therefore, we know he, the king, will answer. We know he came to redeem and to purchase every sheep that the Father has given to him, who are gathered together in his church, and that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So, yes, we can daily pray Psalm 20 with confidence. Lord, Answer us in the day of trouble. May you protect us by your great name. May you send help from your presence in the holy of holies, which is made without hands eternal in the spirit world. And then verse 9, save, deliver, Oh, Lord, King Jesus, 
answer us in the day we call. Father, we thank you for such a gift. As Paul was so moved by the reality that you did not spare him, but sent him and killed him for us and for our salvation and raised him and seated him as our great king. And thus we walk and rejoice in the experienced victories of the battles of our lives to the glory of his name. Amen. Let us stand and worship our great King Jesus.